Hey, this is Pastor Madison. I am so excited that you're tuning in today to the Crosspoint Podcast. My prayer is that this word inspires you, uplifts you, and enlightens you. You can connect with Movement Youth on Instagram at movement underscore youth or the Point College Ministry at the Point College. Let's jump into the message. I'm really excited to be in front of you guys because it's literally been a month. We had our Christmas party December 14th. So I, you know, didn't, I wasn't in front of you talking then, really. And then last week I wasn't here, or, you know, up here, I guess, and Pastor Ryan preached. And so I'm really excited that I get to be in front of you. But tonight I'm not going to preach to you. Tonight I'm actually going to, I'm going to teach. I'm not going to preach. I'm going to teach. My husband, I called him, I said, yeah, I'm going to teach. And he goes, mm, let it teach, right? Kind of doesn't sound as cool as let it preach, but we're going to go with it, okay? So I'm excited to teach to you tonight. And this is not our typical youth night, okay? This is the most practical youth night that you're ever going to have, all right? And here's why I want to teach to you tonight and why I'm not going to preach to you. Okay, right now, it's been about two and a half years since I've been in this role. So, you know, COVID hit, we went to Zoom with youth ministry, and then we didn't do anything over the summer, and then I stepped in in August. So it's been, we're going on year three. It's been about, you know, a little over two and a half years. And a lot of you guys have been super faithful and showing up, and you've been consistent and you started a quiet time with God. You've been reading your Bibles and you, you know, you raise your hands and you worship. And it has started off so wonderful. And it started off, you know, so powerful. And, and in the beginning, you left Wednesday nights feeling this rush of, of positive emotions, this spiritual high. Maybe it was a Wednesday night. Maybe it was comic. Maybe it was camp. But as you've continued coming, those emotions or feelings that you once had are not as strong. And you don't feel as connected, and you don't feel as uplifted, and you don't feel much with God. If you feel that way at all, I want to teach to you tonight. Because I have felt that way personally before. Why, you know, why do I not feel as strong in my relationship with God? Why does that worship song not hit like it once did? Why am I not getting as much out of the messages anymore? I've had those thoughts, and I've had those questions. And so if you've had any of those, I'm going to talk to you tonight. All right? So let's pray. God, thank you so much for these students. We believe you're going to do something so spectacular tonight, God. Not because of hype, not because of emotions, not because of our feelings, but because it's just who you are. I pray that tonight these students have a hunger and a desire that they haven't had to just know you, God. Know you truly and know you personally. So touch the hearts, touch their minds, more importantly, and be in this space. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, I think the church is getting it wrong. And I, when I say the church, I don't mean specifically Cross Point Church. I mean just the worldwide church. I think the church is getting it wrong when we place so much emphasis on spiritual highs and emotions and feelings. So we create these awesome, powerful nights with these great songs and sometimes a moving message. But I think some of us, and I would venture as far to say most of us in this room, the experience that we have with God, it just ends right there. It ends with a, a, an emotional night or a powerful or inspirational weekend at a conference or a week at camp. And when I was younger, I got saved at a church camp, some of you know. And I remember right before I left church camp, the people at that camp said, hey, you guys, you, you're on this mountaintop right now. You got to stay there. Don't decline. Don't go down from here. You got to stay up there. And I, and I love the heart of that. Like, I really do. I love the heart of that. Because we want to continue to have a passion for the Lord and have that craving 
to be in his presence and to be in, you know, community with other people. But I think sometimes by using that kind of language of like, hey, just stay on that mountaintop and don't let it die, we start to rely so heavily on that feeling or that emotion of what we experience at that mountaintop. And that becomes our goal, just to feel good. That's what we want. And so track with me. I think it's very easy for us to tie our faith to our emotions or feelings. If we feel good, then man, we're good with God. Like our faith is so strong if we feel good. If we walk away from a service feeling this high or this rush of emotion, it was an effective service. That's what we think. And the strength of our faith, of our belief in God, it starts to become determined by how close we feel to God at any given moment. By how a sermon made us feel. By how that worship song really touched us. That's what we start to believe. But honestly, trying to sustain those high emotions in that mountaintop of those feelings, to just constantly be on the spiritual high, it is exhausting. And it is so defeating. And so for some of us, our faith, it looks like this roller coaster ride. Just up and down. And it looks more of like peaks and valleys. And peaks and valleys instead of this straight path. But a lot of the time in Christianity, we're told that it's all about the heart, right? Man, you got to accept Jesus into your heart and allow him to do the heart work in you. We, we use that terminology all the time. But sometimes we focus so much on the heart and the emotion and the feeling and the spiritual high that we allow our hearts to lead our minds. Or in other words, we allow our emotions, our feelings to lead our thoughts and our logic. And so tonight, I want to teach you how to let your mind lead your heart and not the other way around. When I was your age, I think I was in high school, maybe I was in college, but I heard somebody tell me that love is a choice. That's what I heard. And honestly, I, I hated that because I did not agree with that statement, that love is a choice. I didn't like that. I didn't, I didn't want to believe it because I was just kind of like, what do you mean love is a choice? Love is a feeling. Like you just fall in love and you can't help it. It's like a fairy tale. Like you can't help but get out of love when you're in love with someone. But as I have become more mature, I have realized that you get to choose to love. You get to make the choice to love. And I love that Pastor Ryan, last week he touched on uh, gender identity and all that. Because it's not about these feelings that are constantly fleeting and here and there and all over the place. It is what we choose. Okay, so how many of you guys, raise your hand if you have heard of the honeymoon phase in a relationship. Raise your hand if you've heard of the honeymoon phase. Almost everyone, you can put that down. So I remember when I was middle school and high school and I had this rush of emotions of the, these feelings when someone started to take an interest in me. Like, oh, I just got a snap. Or, oh, someone just messaged me and, I, you know, I think that they like me. And this, this emotion just, like, it, it rised. Is that the right word? It rised up? I don't know. All these emotions came to the surface. All these feelings were all of a sudden there. And I didn't even have to know the person. I could have no idea who they were. I could know very little about them. Yet I had these feelings of excitement, these feelings of, oh, I want, you know, I want to get to know, whatever. So when Tyler and I started dating, we started dating in college. And some of you know, we met on the dance team. I, I tried out for the dance team. When I got on the dance team, I then realized that there was a co-ed dance, which means a guy and a girl dance together. So it was the, the girls on the team job to go find a guy to dance with them. So I think we have a picture of um, us huddled. Tyler doesn't know that I pulled pictures of us. But there should be a picture of us on the dance team huddled in a circle that will pop up. I'll 
point us out. Okay. Anyway, so we were on the dance team, and I joke with people when I tell them the story about how Tal and I met that I was literally, like, I did not put this picture in there because I just did not want to embarrass us. But I was literally, like, doing the splits above Tyler's head. Like, he was holding me up while I was doing the splits before he even knew my middle name. Do we have it yet? No? Okay. So, <laughs> so we, yeah, it was, like, we were doing crazy stunts. I don't even know if we could do them anymore. We'd probably hurt ourselves. But we were doing crazy things before we knew a lot about each other. And we were in the honeymoon stage. I had feelings for Tyler. In fact, I, Tyler also did this, I found out later, but we had the same, um, like we were in the same building at the same time for different classes, and I would see him coming from the other direction across campus, and we both would try to like time our walks so that we would end up there at the same time because we just like were so head over heels for each other in that honeymoon phase. Nope, one before that. That one right there. Okay, so this is our performance day. I don't know if you can see us, but we're like by in front of the G and the E or the E-G-E. That was us uh, performing our in our dance team routine. And like I said, there's there's another picture of the whole like huge stunt, but we're not gonna we're not gonna show that. Uh, but during our first year, so that was awesome. Like when we first started dating, it was this honeymoon phase, head over heels, those were our dates, all of that. It was great. But then we hit a rough patch. And it was not good. And I honestly, I didn't think that we were going to make it out of that rough patch. I literally told Tyler, like, I'm done. Like, this is not going to work. And all of a sudden, we had, to, we had to make a decision. Because it was no longer our feelings that were making the relationship work. It was the choice to pursue one another. Of discovering things about each other. And learning more about how the other person operates. So it went from a, a relationship of the heart to a relationship of the mind and the heart. So if you want to do that, that other slide that has those two pictures of us. So the one on the left, that's at our six month. And I did not think we were going to make it to six months at all. And I remember that was kind of a big date because it was after we kind of got over a huge slump in the summer. And then on the right, that was actually around the year mark of us dating. That was in January. Uh, we met the January prior. And that day, I remember that day, we went ice skating for the first time. And that was the day that Tyler said, I, for sure, without a doubt, want to marry you. And he didn't propose, and he didn't, you know, it wasn't anything crazy like that. But that was the day where he said, I know, like, I'm going to choose this. Like, I'm going to pursue you because this is what I want. So that was a very special day. And I think that's part of the reason why right now our marriage has been so great. It's because we know each other. Tyler and I know each other so well. So let me give you an example. We can be sitting on the couch. And I cannot be looking at Tyler at all. Like, he could have pillows and blankets all piled up so I can't even see his face or any, any body at all, okay? And, I, and I'll be watching TV, and he'll be watching TV. And the instant that Tyler falls asleep, he doesn't snore, okay? I can tell by the way that he breathes. And so the instant that he starts to change his breathing, which is the most subtle thing that you can imagine, I know he's asleep, so I'll just... Hey, wake up. And he'll just be like, oh, I wasn't sleeping. I'm like, I know you, okay? That's, that's how much I know, Tyler. I know my husband. But the truth is that a lot of people get married on very little information or very little knowledge. And they go off of their feelings, and they don't really even know who exactly they are marrying. And if you're only going off of your emotions and your feelings in a relationship and you don't really know the person and start loving them for who they are and not how they make you feel, then I think your relationship is going to look like a roller coaster too. 
up and down, up and down. And it's going to all depend on your emotions. And this is what I want to declare tonight because I know that some of you are. Some of you are coming out of the honeymoon phase with God, okay? And you're wondering how to sustain your relationship with him and how to, how to you know, make things feel right. You can either keep going solely off of the heart, off of your emotions, and that's going to be up and down your whole life. You can do that. But the answer lies, if you want to get out of the honeymoon phase and you want to actually mature as a Christian, the answer lies in knowing God and loving him with your mind, not just your heart. So I'm just going to go through a couple people in the Bible, and I'm just going to tell you very quickly how these people, they didn't feel the best. They didn't feel good with what God was calling them to do or what God did for them, to them, whatever. But they engaged their heart and their mind, okay? They turned to a choice rather than just their emotions. So Job, Job is one of them. Job had literally everything taken from him, okay? Family, material things, all of that. He lost absolutely everything, and he had a lot of emotions. He was not happy. But it came down to a choice of him continuing to be faithful to God and to pursue him. Then Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, okay? And Moses did not feel like he could lead a group of people out of captivity at all. He did not feel equipped. He did not feel ready. He did not feel like he had the skills. But yet he made the choice of doing it anyway, and he led people out. And Peter, he messed up big time. He made a lot of mistakes. You can flip through the Gospels and figure that out. He denied Jesus three times. He followed Jesus. Jesus, you know, did all these amazing things. And then all of a sudden he's like, yep, I don't know that, that man. But then Jesus came back, and guess what? Jesus gave Peter a choice three times. Peter denied him three times, and then Jesus came back. He, he died on a cross, and then he uh, rose from the dead, and then he came back, and he appeared to Peter. And then he, three times he said, do you love me? And he gave Peter the choice to answer, do you love me? And three times Peter made the choice to say Yes, because here's the truth. The heart cannot love what the mind does not know. So finding greater pleasure in God, I, I was reading this book, like I literally like read it in like two days. It's called Woman of the Word. It's so good. If any of you uh, girls especially want to read it, please, like I will, I will give you the book. It's so good. But as I was reading this book, it, it's talking about how like if you want to actually like have um, – if you want to enjoy being in God's presence, if you want to enjoy and have pleasure in pursuing God and having faith, it's not going to come out of of pursuing more experiences of him. It's going to come out of knowing him better. There's even this psychologist, I don't even think he's a Christian, but he's a uh, Yale psychologist, and he did this study, and he says that pleasure results from gaining knowledge about something, not just experiencing it over, over, over and over and over and over again. If you're really close to me, you know that I, I ask a lot of fun, really, really random questions, okay? Like, I'll, I'll ask the most random things, and, like, Tal and I will be going on a date, and I'll just be like, hey, if you, if you could be, like, a type of dog, like, what, type, what kind of dog would you want to be? Like, I ask the most random things. And it was just a couple weeks ago, we went on a date, and I asked him, you know, a couple weird things. And then later on, it was like a week or two after, I just said, hey, the reason why I, I ask these random questions is because I always want to, I, I just, I don't want to go through the motions. I want to learn more about each other. I don't want to just keep doing what we're doing. I want to keep growing. I want to keep learning. I want to keep more, knowing more about you. So if you want to love God more, you need to learn about him and know him. And you can do that by reading his word. That is how we come to learn about God. 
That's how you're going to mature as a Christian. That's how you're going to get out of the honeymoon phases. you got to learn about God by reading his word. And I told you guys, I told you a couple, you know, it was a couple months ago now. I told you every single night I have this journal for my daughter Hazel. And every single day I write to Hazel and I say, hey, uh, I love you so much. This is what you did today. And I tell my daughter all about her life. And I tell her all about the love that I have for her. Could you imagine if Hazel grew up and she never opened any of the journals that I wrote to her growing up? She never read the words about the love that I have for her. She never read the words about her life. Could you imagine if she did that? Okay, God has given us a book that he has written for us to have. And it is living and breathing and active. So we should read it, all right? But another fun thing that uh, the church likes to uh, get wrong is that they say that, and then it stops there. They say, hey, get into the word. Make sure you read your Bible. Have a quiet time. But you're just like, okay, where do I even start? And what do I even read? And how much do I read? So tonight I'm going to teach you how to do that. You guys ready for it? All right. Are you guys ready for it? Come on. Are you guys ready for it? All right. Everyone grab the Bible and journal and pen underneath their seat. That is a gift to you. The two back rows on the right, you guys don't have one under your seat, but you can certainly, uh, under an open seat that nobody's sitting at, you can grab a Bible and a journal and a pen. So I'm going to teach you guys tonight, all right? We're in the maze series, obviously, and we're talking about different things that are hard to kind of get, you know, are hard to get through. And so tonight I'm going to be teaching the maze of the Bible and how to kind of work through that. All right, I'm going to give you a couple minutes. The pens are clicking. Give you another few seconds. All right. All right. I would love your attention back. You don't need to, you know, click any pen on right now or open any book or journal or anything like that. Just undivided attention. Okay. So I'm going to teach you on the Bible tonight. I'm going to teach you on the Word. I'm going to tell you what this book is, okay? The Bible is 66 books, 66 books written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years, and it has one theme that runs through the whole entire book. 66 books, 40 different authors, 1,500 years, one theme that runs through the whole book. Okay, I want you to do this for me. I want you to physically open up. And I want you to put your hand after the book of Malachi. It is right before Matthew. So it's about, it's not, certainly not halfway. It's about three-fourths of the way through your Bible. And I want you to just grab on to the front of your book. So it's the beginning of the book until Malachi, which is about three-fourths. If you need a guidance, here's a guidance. I got it for you. Yes. Yep. Um, Can I have one of my leaders turn on the lights, please? So the book of Malachi, if you need the, the page number, you can look at the beginning of your Bible. All right. So this right here, listen up, the beginning of your Bible through the book of Malachi, that is the Old Testament. There are 39 books in the Old Testament. Now, grab the back half of your book, the smaller part. 
This is the New Testament. The Old Testament, which is at the beginning of the Bible, was written before Jesus. The Old Testament has a bunch of prophecy. Everyone say prophecy. And in the Old Testament, there are prophecies that predicted what happened in this New Testament, in this part of your Bible, in the back part of it. And they are absolutely amazing. And tonight, I'm just going to touch on a couple of them. I know, I think I've done it before, but I just want you to grasp this in your mind if you could just lock in with me and give me your undivided attention. So in the Old Testament, hear me out, in the Old Testament, Isaiah and Micah wrote 700 years before Jesus was born. 700 years. And Isaiah wrote about a virgin birth. Isaiah predicted that Jesus Christ would be born of a woman who didn't get pregnant by anybody on earth. A virgin birth, he predicted it 700 years before Jesus was born. And Micah, he named the city that Jesus was going to be born 700 years before it happened. He, he said where Jesus was going to be born in the Old Testament. He prophesied that 700 years before it happened. Okay? David, in the Old Testament, in the beginning of your Bible, he wrote about crucifixion. So putting nails in your hands and your feet. 1,000 years before Jesus was crucified and 500 years before anyone was crucified. He wrote about it. 500 years before it was even a thing, David predicted that Jesus was going to be crucified. 1,000 years before it happened. And then, not only that, but in this Old Testament, David also writes about something crazy. And I know that this is kind of hard to track, but please just lock in, okay? David writes about these four, he actually, he writes about this, this huge empire in the Old Testament. This is prophecy. He said, there's, there's this great empire, it's going to dominate the world. And then suddenly, he said, it's going to be cut off in the future. And then it's going to divide into four empires. And then it's going to divide into two empires. And then it's going to come down to one, and then the Messiah is going to come. Jesus Christ is going to come. That's what he said. He wrote this 500 years before Jesus. Get this. This is, this is history book right here. 300 years B.C. So this was 500 B.C. where David wrote all that. 300 years B.C. Anybody hear of Alexander the Great in school? Okay. We have the empire of Alexander the Great. Dominated the whole world. Okay. And then all of a sudden, 32, boom, Alexander was killed. He was cut off. And then his kingdom, that great kingdom, it was, it was divided among four generals and went into four empires. And then those four empires became two empires. And then those two empires became one empire. And that is the Roman Empire that you probably have learned about in school. And then guess what? Jesus Christ was born. Now explain that. That is pretty amazing. It is unbelievable how accurate the Bible is. And it's, it would be really easy to prove that the Bible is not true. Because all you'd have to do is you just take, talk about a city that never was a thing. Or you talk about a city that's 100 miles from a city instead of 200. It's very easy to falsify it, but you just can't do it. And there was a, a guy at Princeton Theological Seminary, and he made this statement. He said, after you take the, the New Testament here, so grab that New Testament part again. The 200,000 lines of the New Testament, you take that. It is safe for any scholar, non-Christian scholar, to say that 99.6% of the Bible has been supported by other historical documents. 
So if you're not willing to take the Bible for its word, then just look at all the other historical documents. 99.6% of it can be supported by historical documents. No book has been more studied. No book has been more scrutinized. And it has always been proven to be true. And then I'm going to go even further. You guys know the Old Testament. You know the New Testament. I'm going to break it down even more so you fully understand this book. I want you to go at the beginning of your Bible again, and I want you to go Genesis to Deuteronomy. It's the first five books of the Bible, so it won't take up that, that much space in your hand. And just hold that. So Genesis to Deuteronomy, it's about this thick on mine, so it's not very much. It's five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You're going to grab that in your hand. And again, if you need to know where a chapter in the Bible is, go to the beginning and you can look at what page number it starts on, okay? This right here, this is the Pentateuch. Everyone say Pentateuch. This right here, this small little part of the Bible, it talks about the creation story. It talks about the fall of man. It has laws in it and it has an overview of God's plan of redemption, now everyone go to Joshua right after Deuteronomy is Joshua, and then go to Esther. Please hold that in your hand. So this is not a huge chunk either, but it's right before like Psalms and Job and all of that. It looks about to be this thick. I just want you guys to physically do this so that you know how to break it down. Joshua to Esther. Hold that in your hand. It's right before the book of Job. Shout out Job, our youth leader. All right, Joshua to Esther. These are the historical books. They record the events of Israel's history, okay? These are historical books. So that tells the history. Now there's Job. That's your next part. And then go to Song of Songs. So it's, it's right, it goes Proverbs. And then right after Proverbs is Song of Songs. So you, I'm sure that you, if you flipped your Bible to the middle, you'd probably have about Psalms right there. Go a little bit after that and hold that. So Job to Song of Songs. These are the poetic books. And you guys can open up your journals now and take notes if you want to. Like, feel free if you want to. So Genesis to Deuteronomy, that was the, the Pentateuch. Or the books of the law, if you want to write that, it's easier to write. So Genesis to Deuteronomy, the first five books. And then Joshua to Esther are the historical books. So it, you know, talks about history. And then Job to Song of Songs are poetic books. So these are the books where you probably have in the past flipped it open and pointed to something and tried to get wisdom or something for your life, okay? They're just small little nuggets in there. Those are the poetic books. That's Job to Song of Psalms. All right. Raise your hand if you need me to go over that again. Okay, I'll go over. Yes. Yes. Yep, yep. It goes Job through Song of Songs. Nope, not two, through. Yeah. Drake? So um, poetic books are Job to Song of Songs. And then Joshua to Esther is the historical and then Genesis to Deuteronomy is the books of the law or the Pentateuch. Okay, very good. Now, right after Song of Songs, so if you're there, leave your Bible there. From Isaiah to Malachi, which is right before the book of Matthew, 
And Matthew is, I'll show you. It's about right here. So it goes a little, I mean, there's a decent amount at the end, but not a ton. Isaiah to Malachi. These are the prophetic books. The prophets in these books point to Jesus Christ. These are the prophetic books. P-R-O-P-H-E-T-I-C. Hey, there should be a graphic that has all of that if you want to uh, pop that up. It has all the books and what they are. Okay, next we have two more. Matthew to Acts. Matthew to Acts. It's going to be just a short little portion. It's about half, well, a little over half. Okay, right here. Matthew to Acts. Math, or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the Gospels, and that tells the story of Jesus' life. So if you want to know about the life of Jesus and how he lived and his miracles and everything, you go to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then the book of Acts, that talks about after Jesus died and he ascended into heaven, that talks about the start of the early church. So it, it talks about how all of this started, okay, how the early church started. So, yeah, take a picture of that if you need to. Okay, last one. Romans to Revelation. That's the very last little bit of your book. Should be easy to find. Romans to Revelation. All of the books except for Revelation are epistles, which mean basically letters to individuals or to churches. So these are written to, they're written letters to churches or individuals. And then Revelation is basically a book, it's prophecy for the future. It's about the end times, okay? So that's how you can break down the Bible. You have the Old Testament and you have the New Testament, and then this goes even a step further to say, hey, these are the sections of the Bible. Okay, now you have a general outline of the Bible. I'm going to tell you some common mistakes that people make when they try to read the Bible, all right? I already mentioned one, okay? One of them is the open and point method. Or you just flip open your Bible and you close your eyes and you point to something and you hope that it applies to your life. Okay. It's not really intentional reading. Okay. Maybe it's helped you in the past and that's phenomenal. But that's not really how you want to study the word of God. Another one is uh, the magic eight ball. And the magic eight ball is basically saying, hey, I really, really want to look for something inspirational. And then we just flip until we find something that, ooh, I like that. And it makes us feel really good. Okay, that's the magic eight ball. Like, oh, what should I do with my life? Oh, I like this. And I'm going to apply it. Okay, that's not a great method either. Another one is the telephone method. Okay, anybody play the game telephone before where you whisper something, you pass it down, and you try to figure out. The game of uh, method of the telephone is basically you just study what other people say about the Bible, about the Word of God, and you don't actually study the Word of God. So devotionals are phenomenal, and I'm not telling you to, like, not do a devotional, but that should be a supplement to you reading the Word of God, okay? So tonight, I told you I'm going to teach to you, and we've done some teaching, but now I'm literally going to, like, show you what a one-on-one time with God, reading His Word, looks like, okay? All right, so... The first step, they're going to pop up here, all the steps. The first step that you need to do if you want to mature in your faith, you want to get past the honeymoon phase, is you need to make time. That's the first thing that you got to do. 
you need to figure out a time. And, I, and I'll tell you right now, you seniors, juniors, you're going to graduate and you are going to get to college and your schedule is going to look totally different. Some of you athletes are going to be in season, you're going to be out of season, and I totally get that. So your time may change, and I just want to give you the grace to say, it is okay for your time to change. But the first step is you got to make time. you gotta, you got to set a time. The second thing, this is not like the, you know, a scientific system of how you exactly have to do it, but you need to prioritize prayer in your quiet time. And if you're like, I have no idea how to pray, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to say, I have an acronym, and that is Praise, Repent, Ask, Yield. What that means is, and I'm going to do it literally with you later, is praise, I'm going to give glory to God, I'm going to give thanks to God for what he's done. Repent, I'm going to admit to God some things that I haven't done right. Ask is I'm going to ask for some things that I'd like for God to help me with. And then yield is I'm going to quiet myself and be ready for what God wants to do, okay, and tell him that. The next is get context. All right, everybody say context. Context is so important, and in a minute you're going to see why. So when I say context, I mean who wrote it, who wrote what you're reading, when did they write it, why did they write it, what purpose was, what, you know, what purpose is there for. That's what you need to look for, the context. The next I have read and underline slash highlight. I'm not talking about the verses that make you feel good. You can underline those. You can highlight those. That's great. I'm talking about even the words that you have no idea what they mean. Underline them. Circle them. Highlight. Whatever you want to do. If, you, if there's an attribute that describes who God is, underline it. Highlight it. Circle it. Okay, so that's number four. Then number five is I want you to, to write down notes. Write down your thoughts. I want you to put it in your own words what you are getting out of it. So before you go to other people, before you go to a devotional, before you try to make sense of all it using somebody else's thoughts, I want you to try and process it. And here's the deal. You are going to have days where you walk away from reading the Bible and you are going to be more confused than what you started. You're going to be confused and not comforted. And I just want to tell you that that is a good thing. Because that means that you are digging in and trying to learn more about God. And sometimes it is confusing and that is completely okay. You're not going to grow if you're not challenged. And with your phones right now, you guys literally just have this delivery system of information with the Bible. God isn't like that. He makes you seek for understanding. And that's what you're going to have to do if you really want to mature in your faith. That's just how it is. And also, with that step, write down your thoughts. It is scientifically proven that if you write things down, there's going to be a much greater chance of you remembering it. And it's going to engage your mind way more. You're going to be way more focused. And so these journals, they're yours to keep. Okay, these Bibles, they are yours to keep. So start writing notes now. And then the last thing I put is further study. And I can't remember. I think I have a list of these I do of, um, like, different resources if you want to click on that slide. These are commentaries, and I'm just going to go through them very, very quickly if you want to take a picture or write these notes down. Um, Bible Hub is a, a great one, and those give you, like, different translations. GotQuestions.org. If you guys have a question that you have no idea what it means in the Bible, then that's a great place to go. Enduring Word is going to, like, literally break down verse by verse, and it's going to kind of explain it and break it down a little bit. Bible Gateway, that one's just simply like, hey, if, if, I, I guarantee you that if you guys Google John 3.16, Bible Gateway is going to be one of the ones that pops up right away. Okay, it's just going to literally tell you what John 3.16 is. Um, openbible.info, that's like, let's say you look up a verse about prayer. 
that's going to show you a ton of different verses about prayer all across the Bible. And then right now, media, please come talk to me about that. That just has a bunch of awesome resources like Bible studies and stuff. And then the last one that I've brought up before is the YouVersion Bible app, and that's just a way for you on your phone to access the Bible, and it also has studies on there. Okay, so now this is the last thing we're going to do. I'm going to break down a Bible passage together. I'm going to invite Pastor Levinsky to come up and just play a little sum-sum behind me while I break this passage down with you. How many of you know Philippians 4.13? Who can say Philippians 4.13 out loud? Say a little bit louder. What is Philippians 4.13? Very good. Okay. Philippians 4.13 is that. But tonight we are going to not just look at Philippians 4.13, which a lot of people know. We're going to actually look at 10 through 13, which is, again, not even like a full chapter, but it's just a small part that's going to give us a little bit more context. So I'm going to read this out loud to us, and it's going to pop up here. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So let's walk through these steps together, having a quiet time with God. First, we're going to make time. You guys, are, you showed up. You're doing that right now. Second thing is we're going to pray. So I'm going to pray with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to praise. I'm going to ask. I'm going to repent. Uh, and I'm going to yield. So God, um, we just praise you and we thank you for who you are. And we praise you and thank you that um, we get to know you, that you've given us the word and that it's living and breathing and active and amazing. And uh, I just pray for hunger in these students, that they wouldn't be okay with this honeymoon phase and emotions and feelings. And um, God, we, we, we're sorry. We're sorry for um, being distracted even right now in this moment. And we're sorry for um, not giving you our full attention. And sometimes we're sorry, God, for not having a hunger for the word. And we just ask, Lord, that you would give us that hunger. You would give us that desire to know you because we're ready for you to do what you want to do. Thank you, God. We love you. Amen. All right. So now we're going to look at the context of Philippians 4, 10 through 13. So when I was doing this, I'm not going to have you guys, you know, do it right now. But when I was doing this, I went to Got Questions that I said before, gotquestions.org. There's a lot of Got Questions out there, but this one is biblical. And I, I just searched, like, um, what, what is the Philippi? Like, what are uh, with the Philippians? Because we're obviously in the, the book of Philippians. And so I looked it up, and then I went to some cross-references and everything. And I looked, I found out who wrote it, why they wrote it, when they wrote it, all the things. And so I'm just going to tell you with this passage what I found out. I'm not going to let you, or, you know, make you dig. But you are going to do that later tonight, okay? So Paul wrote this. You guys want to journal that right now? Paul wrote it. And Paul used to kill Christians, but then he was struck blind by God as he was walking one day. And a man was chilling at home, and God said, hey, I need you to go out and touch this guy and and heal him. And so the guy went out, and and he touched Saul at the time, and Saul became Paul. And Paul's life was radically changed ever since that moment. And so then Paul started going off everywhere, 
and he was preaching the gospel to everyone. And I just want to say that if you think that, oh, that just happened back then, it's still happening today. I went to a writer's conference when I was in college, and I talked to a guy who said that he, he literally had a vision that he was to go to this coffee shop. And at that coffee shop was going to be somebody that was going to write a book with him about God. And so he goes to this coffee shop, and he meets this guy. He has no idea. There's no meeting set up. He has no idea. And he goes to this coffee shop, and he has an encounter with this guy that says, hey, we're supposed to write this book together. God is still doing these things today. This isn't just an Old Testament thing, okay? So if you want to know a little bit more about Paul, like I said, he was like, oh, I'm so excited. Like, I'm this radical Christian. I'm going to spread the gospel everywhere. Okay, Paul three times was beaten with rods. He was pelted with stones. He was shipwrecked three times. And he spent a night and a day in the open sea. Okay, so that's just a little glimpse of Paul. And Paul, who is he writing to in this passage? Paul is writing a letter to the first church that he established in Philippi. It's the first Christian church in Europe. Okay, the first Christian church in Europe. And he's writing to this church that he established, his very first one. And I just want to tell you that Paul is not in this post-game press conference talking to all his fans. Okay, He's not this big pastor that went viral and is talking to all of his followers. Paul is talking as he's sitting in a prison in Rome, writing to the first church he established who is supporting him in his ministry. And he's writing them and he's thankful for what that they've given him to continue the ministry. So that is the context. Okay. Let's read through the scripture. I want you guys to do this, actually, and I'm just going to give you a couple moments. I want you to read through the scripture, so flip open to um, the Philippians, chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, and I want you to take your pen, and I want you to underline or circle or do whatever. Anything that stands out to you, I want you to do that right now. notes if you're not ready for that yet you can just underline something circle it Philippians is towards the back of your Bible there's about that much left in the back of your Bible to get to Philippians Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. I'm going to break this down for you guys. Just a little bit, just a little tiny bit. One thing that I want you to do is I want you to underline the word this. Because I can do all this through him who gives me strength. After you underline this, I want you to draw an arrow to what this is. And that is being content in any and every situation. Draw an arrow to that. So the reason I'm having you do this is because unfortunately a lot of people take Philippians 4.13 way out of context. And they, they use it to have this, like, super successful Christian image. Like, I'm going to do so good in this basketball game. I'm going to dunk this basketball because Philippians 4.13 says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or I'm going to score this touchdown. Or I'm going to do so good on this test. Like, all these things 
they use this verse for, but it is so out of context. Instead of seeing that the strength of Jesus in Paul's life was evident in his ability to be content when he was suffering. Not when he was scoring in all the areas of life. Are you tracking with me? It wasn't that he was the the most successful preacher and that he had all these followers and all these fans. He was literally, Paul was literally sitting in a prison in Rome. And he's saying, I can be content in any and every situation. I can do this because of Christ who gives me strength. I can be content in every every situation. Not, Not be successful, not do all the things. I can do that. So it's saying through suffering, through the hard times, through sitting in a prison, having unfortunate circumstances, through sitting in the middle of a parent's divorce, through working through the addiction that's going on in your family. I can be content, but I can only do that through Christ. That's what Paul is saying. Not I can conquer the world, but I can be content in the world through Christ. Okay, lastly... Uh, you know, I have the other commentaries thing. And for me, I went to Enduring Word. I broke it down verse by verse, and you guys can do that later. But that's just 10 through 13, okay? It's just four verses right there. And this is what came of it. Very misinterpreted scripture. But you, you would not have figured all that out by just engaging your heart and not your mind. So the honeymoon phase with God, that, that's over. It's time to not rely on your feelings. It's time to rely on knowing who God is, of believing what the book says about him and what that means for you. And one thing that we need to get straight to is that this is a book that's not about you. It's about God. That's also important to to remember as you're diving in. But I'm wrapping it up here. I've often heard that people say, you don't know what true love is until you have a child or until you have a kid. And luckily, I truly do feel like in my marriage, I have true love because I know who my husband is. But I think people say that because when you're a parent, you know your child. You know them so intimately, so intricately. And when you know something, you love it dearly. And I know that some people in this room you don't have a, a parent figure in your life, whether it's your mom, your dad. And there may be a lot of frustration when you don't know them because there's a void. Because your heart wants to love them and feel loved by them. But your mind recognizes that you don't know them and they don't know you. But tonight, I do want to tell you that God knows you. He knows you inside and out. And because he knows you, he loves you more than you can fathom. And just as in Philippians 4, through Christ, you can be content no matter what your circumstances, no matter how you may feel, because you know that you have a Father who knows you and loves you. I want us all to stand tonight. Bishop, you want to flip that light. I really hope that there are people in this room that are not distracted and not thinking about all the things and like bored out of their minds because I'm just telling you that if you if you want to get out of this feeling emotion 
honeymoon phase of your walk with God, the only way to do that is to get to know him, and you have to engage your mind when you do that. And so if you all just want to uh, close your eyes and you want to bow your heads, and tonight you're saying, I'm ready to take the next step. I'm ready to be a mature Christian. I'm ready to step out of the honeymoon phase. I'm tired of going off emotion and hype and feelings. And instead, I'm ready to take that next step. I'm not even saying this isn't an altar call where I'm saying, hey, I, you know, I'm accepting Jesus Christ in my heart for the first time or I'm coming back to him. I'm just saying if you have felt distant from God and you have let your feelings and your emotions take over and let you dictate how your faith is, how you feel about God, all the things, and instead tonight you're like, I'm done with just relying off of that and I actually want to grow and I want to know who God is and love him more because I'm going to engage my mind. If that's you tonight and, and you felt distant, but tonight you're saying, I'm going to mature, I'm going to take that next step, and I'm ready to mature as a Christian, raise your hand really quick. Nobody's looking. Yeah, you can put those hands down. It's okay to admit that you, you don't always feel it. <laughs> it's a good thing because you want to get past that. So every single week, you know, we do this thing where we, we provide this moment where those that don't know who, who God is and never have heard Jesus or maybe they have and they've fallen away and they want to come back, we provide an opportunity, a moment where you can say, this is, this is the day that I'm going to choose to follow Jesus Christ and I, he's going to be my savior. And maybe you've had a revelation as we've opened up the word. Um, if that's you tonight, I just, during this worship song, I want you to pray and I want you to just say, hey God, I choose you. Jesus, you're my savior. Jesus, you're real. I believe in you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything tonight, but I am just going to say, pray that prayer during this next song and then tell someone about it. Let's worship. If you enjoyed today's message, I would encourage you to like it or share it on social media. Movement Youth for 6th through 12th graders meets on Wednesday nights and the Point College Ministry meets on Sunday nights. We would love to have you join us. Thanks for tuning in.